This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Our absolute bros at WeTransfer are here again to tell me, to tell you, but I don't need to be convinced. This WeTransfer is the best way to transfer huge online files from people to people. And it, there's no sign-in. There's no offer codes. There's no password to forget. You just upload, send, and then get back to doing whatever it is you need to do creatively. Okay? Please, go to WeTransfer. It's, it's so simple. I can't tell you enough that this is the service that I use, probably second most to my email program on my computer. Okay? WeTransfer is the best. Find out why. WeTransfer.com. Now, here's the show. What's up, everybody? Hi, how are you? I'm Ray Harkins. We're hanging out at 100 Words or Less, the podcast. If you've tripped across this feed randomly, thank you for joining us because uh, this is a popular episode because this gentleman is a uh, high-profile figure within our independent music community, and his name is Spencer Chamberlain. He's a vocalist for the band Under Oath, also played in a band called Sleepwave, and uh, he's just he's done the damn thing for quite some time. And uh, he blew my mind within a couple minutes of this conversation because he revealed a band that uh, he saw at his first show, his first sort of you know underground punk and hardcore show. And uh, it's a band that I, I just he could have named like 500 other bands that would have been before this one and uh, of me predicting that he would have seen this band. But I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease it. You're not going to know who I'm talking about until you listen to the interview. OK, but it's a great chat. And um, yeah, I want to talk to you about some other stuff first. So let's talk about Rockabilia. If you are not ordering your band merch on Rockabilia, you're missing out. And if you're not using the promo code that I'm giving you, PC Jabberjaw, that's not going to get you, or this that code is going to get you 15% off. But if you don't use it, then you're not getting that discount and you're dumb. All right? I'm, I'm saying that. I'm being really mean and saying that you're dumb. But why Rockabilia? Because there's a million different portals in which you can purchase band merch. But why this is important? One, it's officially licensed, so the band is getting paid. Two, you are going to be getting high-quality stuff. None of this horrible, horrible bootleg stuff that exists on the internet for so many bands, and it's such a bummer. And they have 500,000 items on their website. So everything from hats, beanies, shirts, sweatshirts, whatever you want, they got. So that's why Rockabilia is the best. They have powered this show and the, the Jabberjaw Media Empire <laughs> for the past couple months, and I can't thank them enough for that. And uh, also a little self, a little self promotion here. The new Taken EP, the band that I sing in, that is coming out on Friday, the twenty seventh of April, and I highly encourage you to uh, check that out. We worked really hard on it, and the EP is out, and that feels weird. It's our first new music in like 14, 15 years, and that is wild to say that. <laughs> so uh, go check that out. You can stream it anywhere, and you can purchase vinyl through otherpeoplerecords.com. So do that, please. And um, yeah, what else do I got to tell you? I, I, I'm in Miami. I'm traveling for work. It's fun. It's uh, Miami is is as advertised. I'm actually later on this evening. I'm going on a a boat harbor cruise, which should be funny with my coworkers because uh, I mean they're all nice awesome people um it's you know most of them are just you know kind of kind of normal people i mean granted there's some of them that are uh immersed in the independent comedy world and so they are not normal but uh you know there's a lot of people who are 
we're just uh, just just kind of here, you know, for the job. And it's always uh, it's always interesting to uh, mix it up with uh, the quote unquote normies, as, as we in the independent, judgmental music community like to place in other people. But it's fun, and I enjoy it, and I enjoy my work. So that's a that's a positive thing. It's a net positive, right? And back to Spencer, right? Under Oath is a huge band. They just released a new record, and I think uh, they're they're an incredibly important band. They have uh, changed the face of the way that Christian music is perceived. They changed the face of the way that heavy music is portrayed, and frankly, the way that they are viewed as well. Because you know they are for anybody that has paid remote attention to the band, you know they're not they're not Christian hardcore band. They existed in that. They were that those were their roots, but that is not what they are. Um, so yeah, it's just been really interesting to watch this band uh, transform over time and uh, frankly become a really, really heavy and popular band. So here is uh, my chat with Spencer, and it was uh, done while he was uh, actually just taking a little vacation with his uh, significant other. It was, uh, was it was nice of him to take the time out of the day to do that. So uh, here's Spencer, and I will talk to you, of course, after the episode is over. And, uh, you know, I was aware of uh, this runs through just by, you know, basically uh, anything that was kind of melodic and hardcore, I was aware of, like, just because that was something that I was a fan of. Um, but it, it definitely was, you know, once you joined Under Oath and they're only chasing safety. Uh, the thing that always struck me about that particular record and the way that you approached your vocals was that uh, I had never really thought of the concept of screaming being catchy. And like, you know, right. you did on that record. Um, I presume that was kind of a big focus for you, uh, obviously not only on that record, but kind of just in general, or was that something that kind of just happened sort of uh, accidentally in a way? Well, I mean, to me, it's like, I was never really into, uh, I guess, whatever you want to call it, like hardcore bands before I started playing in one. So like, I grew up around songwriting and melody and what was catchy about songs to me was always the lyrics and melody. So I was singing in bands my whole life and playing guitar in bands my whole life. I mean, since I was like, I think the first sold out show, like a small 200 cap room, I was like 12 years old. You know what I mean? Like it's been a part of my life always. And, uh, I was playing guitar, in my older brother's band and it was a sold out show. And that was like the first time I ever, really could draw a crowd and uh, I eventually got promoted to be the singer in that band and sang in a bunch of other bands and you know how middle school and high school is and um, so when when we started getting into heavier music and I kind of got forced to be like hey man you, you should start screaming more because this music's getting heavier and you know like this that and the other and I think it was just normal for me to find a way to make it hooky without thinking about it like until you asked me that question, I've never really thought about it, but going back in time and I get asked a lot about older records and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I mean, like I wasn't a lot of kids tell me like, Oh, you know, I grew up listening to Under Oath and like, that's why I started playing music. I'm like, well, I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, Pink Floyd, and <laughs> you know, the Rolling Stones and Nirvana and, and Alice in Chains. That's why I started playing music. So there was no screaming and, and 
like heavy music really that I was aware of at that age, you know? Uh, so to me it was naturally like, I just kind of got put in a situation to where the bands that I was in kept changing because the life, America, the world, whatever you want to call it, the scene was changing. So, you know, naturally you just, you kind of morph with it and find ways to make it work. And none of us knew what we were doing and none of us had a plan, but, uh, you know, I've always been a musician and a, and a songwriter and a lyric writer. So, uh, I guess it translated in all different facets of, uh, under a, yeah. Oh no. That may, I mean, it makes sense, especially from where you were coming from, of the idea that you know you your your entry point to independent music, um, you know, was was something that you were learning as you were playing in these bands. You know, because usually, yeah, you know, people people hear a band and then they want to start a band that sounds like that band, whereas you were kind of evolving as it was going on. Well, it, well, I mean, I started. <clears throat> with guitar first and, and piano, like my, my, my grandmother was the piano player. She taught piano until she was 97 uh, when she died and she stopped teaching piano when she was 96. So music's kind of always been naturally just in my family. And I was a guitar player because my dad made me listen to the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. But when I heard Nirvana, I was like, Oh, I can sing and play this instrument. Like that's so cool. And that's why I started playing music in bands uh, and writing my own songs. It, this is before Kirk Cobain even died. I'm the youngest of four, uh, one full brother and two stepbrothers. So like, I've always had good influence around me from my young age. Uh, being the youngest, I was like having the musical taste of someone that now that would be in their forties. You know what I mean? So I grew up around a lot of cool shit and I was so young to where I never really got into bad music because my brothers wouldn't allow it in the house, you know? So, uh, yeah, like it was pretty natural for me to fall in love with like Nirvana to me was aggressive and his vocal approach was catchy and, and screamy but melodic and that's something that was a huge turn on for me as a kid and um, I think that kind of uh, you know I, like a lot of kids talk about you know going to shows their whole life and and watching bands and dude, I was playing shows before I was old enough to go to a show like right. it, it's so opposite <laughs> right you know like being on stage, um, you know, playing house parties that I wasn't even supposed to be at because I was too young and playing venues that sold alcohol and people were smoking inside. And I was obviously, I mean, I, one show in particular, I mean, my dad tells the story all the time where right before showtime, we got, we got kicked off the show because it was sponsored by a cigarette company. And I was way underage. I was like 15 or something. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like growing up like, playing shows and just kind of constantly evolving because the music around me and the other kids and bands that I was looking up to people my brother's age you know that were playing music and the other singers and front men and, and it just naturally got heavier and heavier until we had our own identity you know yeah oh no absolutely um, yeah, and kind of, kind of focusing on, you know, where you grew up, which obviously was in North Carolina. Um, and it's, it, yeah. you know, Chapel, Chapel Hill is such an interesting, um, city because, you know, it, Dude, may- it had a booming, yeah. booming music and yeah. And like we, I mean, one of the first metal bands I saw was catharsis. They were North Carolina based and they were touring the world, like super underground, like unbelievable. Ba- I can't, evil, you're, you're yeah, not, not, evil to inter- sounding. not to interrupt your train of thought, but like, 
I, I mean, I can't believe that you mentioned that band because that's, uh, you know, like no one knows about catharsis. Like, I mean, I saw them once they came, I'm from Southern California. Uh, I saw them once and, um, you know, actually a couple weeks ago I hung out with the, the guitarist cause he plays in that band sect with Chris Callahan from like cursed and all these other bands. But anyways, that's, oh, wow. that's amazing that, that you like, well, I was catharsis you, was just, the band here's, here's the story about, here's the story about that. That was like probably the first really heavy band I ever saw. And that was probably 12 or 13. And I was walking in to a show, obviously the youngest kid there with my older brother and all of his friends that were like punk rock and like shaved heads and do safety pins in their ears and stuff. And like, I'm like the little guy, you know, like, and I wasn't like an early bloomer. I was a late bloomer. So I was really small at 12. I looked like half my age. So the singer came up to me and started talking to me. He was like, you know, what are you doing here? And I was like, Oh, I, I love, I love this stuff. You know, like I, I love going to shows. He actually picked me up and put me on the side of the stage. And my, my brothers and all his friends were in the crowd. I got to watch from the side of the stage and I was so young and I watched, and this guy was so nice. This singer was so nice to me. And I was such a little kid and I, and I watched him get on the stage that opened up, started screaming in the microphone. And then he was smashing himself in the face with the mic and bleeding on it. And I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. <laughs> it's like, so it's like this little kid and, and having experience like that has always kind of shown me like, you never know, like being nice to people, like you just never know who you're going to affect. Like the singer catharsis probably has no idea that he affected the singer of under oath in the way that he did, but he did like, it was like a huge moment in my life. And I don't really think about it that often. I just know that it changed me, you know, like that was the first metal or hardcore or whatever you consider it. Band, let's say this, a band was screaming primarily vocal that I'd never seen. And the singer was so nice. He let me sit on the side where like the monitors were, you know, like the monitor guy, he put me over there cause I was too small. He thought I would probably get hurt. I was sure that's what he was doing. But to me, it was like, Oh wow, this, this super nice guy and this cool band, you know, and then they get up there in a, in a packed room and all these people are singing along to music that I, and I didn't understand it. I, thought, I just thought it was awesome. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I mean, it was a huge deal. <laughs> no, that's really cool because, I mean, you know, no one, uh, you know, I mean, Catharsis was, you know, very much like, a, you know, an anti-capitalist, anti-government, anti-religion. Like, you know, they were a very, very, um, uh, you know, contrarian band. And so it's really funny that, you know, you, you obviously had no idea what any of that was when you were that age. But to have the visceral effect of watching that's a why. band. Yeah, it's amazing. And that's exactly why this day under oath doesn't consider themselves anything. We're just a band. And people ask me all the time, like, Oh, are you anti Christian? Are you anti this? I no, man. I'm just like, I think that exactly what you just explained to me and the vice versa way is music is a universal language. And once you put a category on it, like Christian or anti Christian or satanic or anti this or political that or whatever, like you, you've just limited your audience. And when you're a kid and you don't know any better, like, I didn't know what Kurt Cobain was thinking about. I just know it made me feel a certain way and I, I related to it. And, and I didn't know what the guy from Catharsis stood for. And did, did I to know? No, because it affected my life in a very positive way. And, and it was awesome. You know, yeah. like I, it, I think that these categories of religion or, or not, and obviously under oath is not a Christian band. Hasn't been since 2009. And, half the guys don't believe in that stuff anymore. That's okay because everyone should be entitled to their own opinions and their own, uh, viewpoints and should have nothing to do with the music unless you're singing about it, which we never did, you right. know? Uh, <laughs> totally. so I, yeah, I think under was a band that sang about life and we, uh, 
were just young and, and stupid <laughs> yeah. and, and didn't know what we, what we wanted. You right. know? And, and we grew up in the public eye and, and growing pains hurt. Like if, you know, everyone got to watch you got you, your life on video and YouTube, and, you know, the rise, fall, demise and re, rebirth and all that, like it, it would look pretty ugly too. So, you know, it's like, it's all part of it and I'm, I'm fine with it, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you walking me through that. Oh boy, I get to tell you about So Delicious again? Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. What have they been doing, So Delicious, you ask? They have been making incredible-tasting dairy-free foods for 30 years. From the yogurt case to the ice cream aisle, this Eugene, Oregon company knows how to make dairy-free taste delicious. And what do they have now? They have five new ice cream flavors. So Delicious is so good. I have eaten this stuff for pretty much the moment that I became vegetarian and then vegan, and... These five flavors, holy moly, blueberry cardamom, chocolate drizzled bananas foster, peachy maple pecan, cold brew coffee, and toasted coconut key lime. Oh my gosh. The cold brew coffee is unreal good. I love this stuff. And like you can imagine, it's plant-based, non-GMO project verified, certified gluten-free, and certified vegan. There's no artificial flavors, and it's always dairy-free. I love this stuff so much. I've given it to my parents and other people who are just like, oh, dude, how could like, you know, coconut or like nut based milk dairy products sound like or taste good? And I've blown their minds with so delicious. And I haven't even given them these new flavors yet. So you need to go to so delicious dairy slash words frozen to learn more. You have to head to the ice cream aisle to check out these awesome, awesome new so delicious dairy free flavors. And you can visit, like I said, so delicious slash words frozen to learn more. This is amazing stuff. It'll make you feel better. It it's just it's great. I can't say enough positive things about it. So delicious, okay? Please go buy their stuff and go to their website. So delicious slash words frozen to learn more. All right. Now here's the show. You know, you've uh, you've also, you know, discussed this, you know, very publicly and openly in regards to, um, you know, you dabbling with drugs when you were uh, younger. Um, You know, I'm not going to, you know, pick at those scabs, but the, you know, the idea of being exposed to that at a pretty early age, like, you know, was it basically just kind of like friends that were showing that to you or, you know, how how did you get into it? I think I, I think that was more. Well, I mean, everyone smokes pot, I feel like when they're a younger kid. I didn't find like any heavier drugs until I started touring. Um, I remember, I know why that, that gets misquoted all the time because of a, some AP article people keep, if you want to like a changed Wikipedia page, it it probably says I'm like five foot two and I don't know, eight years old or something. You never know with those. (laughs) So, uh, no, like I definitely, you know, I, I had a good 12 plus years of, of heavy drug use until recently, actually, uh, it's been a new thing for me to, to be away from it. And I actually had that final breakup with drugs during the writing process of this record. And this is the first record I've tracked about all the stuff that I felt and gone through without still being in it, which was pretty eye opening and awakening for me. Like, like, wow, I can't believe I wrote these words down and felt this way like a couple weeks ago or a month ago or a year ago or whatever it would, depending on the song, you know, and all that because of this shit that I was doing to myself. And, uh, at a certain point during the rebirth stuff, I was just like, you know what? 
I'm so sick of feeling like this. Like it, it's not fun anymore. It's just all you're doing is feeling sick all the time and feeling like shit all the time. Uh, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take a week away from all this stuff. And then it's been like a, a year and a half or more uh, without touching any hard drugs. You know, like I still have some drinks here and there, or whatever. But that's uh, nothing compared to what I was doing in my life. So. Yeah, that's been a, a public thing, but this is, uh, that was, I finally closed that chapter in, in my life, which was 12 years is long enough, I feel like. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. I mean, I, I, I myself am a straight edge, so like I never, you know, went down that road, but I've seen many friends that have, you know, struggled with that. And I'm sure in certain respects, like I, you know, when you're obviously in the middle of it, you, you know, you don't recognize anything, but like, did you, did you feel like a, you know, a cliche at any moment of like, Oh, the cliche. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's, there have been moments where I, you know, you kind of look at yourself in the mirror and you're just like, what the fuck? You know, that's what that in regards to myself on define the great line was a moment that I wrote a song about. It's just a terrible one. I, I don't think, I don't know if I've told anyone this, but like Aaron, like I sneezed one time in the bathroom and there was blood all over the mirror. And I looked at myself like, are you kidding me? And that I wrote that. That wasn't what the song was about, but that's what inspired me to write that. Like wake up, you know, like, like talking to yourself, like, come on get your shit together. And obviously it went on for like another decade. And there was points of like me, uh, being worse than others in the last, you know, four or five years that really slowed down my drug use, like once a week to like once a month to like only on occasions, like, but not feeling anything bad about it. And, uh, to the point where I got to where I was just like, you know what, I'm done with it. And I was actually living in New York at the time when I decided that I was like, you know, this is not for me anymore. Like New York's an easy place too to, to find the best of the best of whatever you want, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you know the right people. And, uh, I moved there to kind of like disappear and get away, uh, and learn to be okay with myself and the drugs weren't helping. And, and during that journey of, me living there for, you know, three and a half, four years, I, you know, I, I kind of picked up my own pieces and it would sound crazy because New York's like the biggest city in America, if I'm not mistaken or most populated, uh, or something like that. Uh, and it sounds like crazy. Why would you move there to like get away? Right. (laughs) it's, it's, It's so no one wants to meet or talk or say hi. You know, like no one, talks to strangers so you kind of just put on headphones and and be alone with yourself and with people everywhere so it's really isolating which sounds at first it's opposite but it really turns out to be isolating like you're surrounded by people and you learn how to just not look at anyone or talk to anyone and you go really inwards and i learned so much about myself and learned how to love myself again and i feel like that's how i got away from more of the substances and, uh, did you do like, just, as you, as you were going through that, you know, self-discovery journey, like, you know, were you relying on, um, uh, you know, like, did you go to therapy? Were you relying on anything else or is it basically like, no, I need to do my own sort of dark night of the soul movement? I did both. Okay. I did both. I, I started off with doing it on my own and I think I got to the point. I don't think I started going to therapy until I had been off drugs for a couple of months. Like, but I was still having these like, kind of breakdown ish moments to where I would take a lot of it out on Aaron 
not in like I'm taking it out on you, like I'm mad or anything. It was just like me breaking down and the person I would talk to would be him and I would be like, I'm losing it or crying or just for, you know, just all those like just emotions because I think when you're abusing your dopamine levels and you know, getting high all the time for so long when you stop doing it, your body's kind of confused. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I eventually just, I remember Aaron's the one who set up all that stuff for me. He, I, I looked at him at one point. I was like, dude, I think I need help. And he got me help. He, he was like, I've been waiting to hear you say that for 10 years and, and took care of it. Like the next day he had he covered everything there was no weirdness. He had set up some something that was not religious based because I said if I'm going to do something, I, I couldn't do anything that was like religious based because that would just piss me off. You know, like I want someone that could actually help. I try to steer your oh well. The only way to get help is to find God, kind of thing. It's like that was all the stuff that burned me in the first place. So uh, that that was like a huge moment uh, for me and like our friendship and everything like that. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, he he. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, you know, that's what friends are for, though. Like, he's my real friend, and we've both helped each other out in many ways, and that's just one of the ways that, you know, my best friend's actually stood up and been a best friend. He he was like, I don't know if just because he was sick of uh, <laughs> me all yeah, dealing with him. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, but, no, for real, I know it wasn't. He, he literally, he was uh, happy to help me find a a place to put all that energy. Yeah, no, that that's incredible. Well, cause yeah, that's, that's when the rubber hits the road, like relationships, you know, from a, you know, physical standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, they only become real when they're tested, you know, when it's like actual real life stuff gets in the way For sure. and that, yeah, that, that obviously is a testament to that. That's amazing. Um, yeah, man, you know, we've, we've been, uh, that's that's why we, we've always you know loved writing music together we're, we're we have that closeness you know like i was there for him when he went through a divorce and he was there for me for all my bullshit you know so yeah it, it works uh, everybody's there for each other's bullshit <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly listen it's time to get excited about your morning coffee again and who will help you bones coffee other brands have super uninspired coffee. They sit in the warehouse for weeks and even months at a time. Then when the coffee finally makes its way into your hands, it's already past its peak freshness and flavor. But Bones Coffee has products that have double the caffeine high voltage blend, maple bacon, strawberry cheesecake. It's an escape from the mundane. I've tried this stuff. It's absolutely incredible. And it's all shipped directly to your door and it's available in one pound bags, sample packs, Keurig 1.0 and 2.0 compatible bones cups. It's unbelievable. So visit bonescoffee.com and then you will have delicious, freshly roasted coffee delivered right to your home. And then do you need something to sip that beautiful, beautiful, sweet Java? How about ceramic mugs made in the USA stainless steel tumblers in a variety of colors for when you're on the go? Grab both of those, grab some coffee, and you can enjoy free domestic shipping on all orders over $50 when you use the promo code 100WORDS for 20% off your entire order. I've tried this stuff. They have incredible flavors. I can't recommend it highly enough. BonesCoffee.com. Free shipping 
for all orders over $50 and use promo code WORDS for 20% off your entire order. Get those mugs. Get the tumbler. You'll love it. Trust me. It's great. Bonescoffee.com. All right. Now on with the show. You know, so, so like you mentioned, your, 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 your kind of journey into independent music, um, you know, Nirvana, and then like, you know, you blew my mind with catharsis. Um, you know, so you were kind of attracted to, um, you know, a lot of different styles of music as you started to get into it. But, you know, as you started to attend those, you know, whatever basement VFW hall shows, um, you know, what, what kind of attracted you to it? Was it, you know, obviously the energy or, you know, was it a combination of a bunch of different things? Yeah, I think the energy uh, was huge. I was I was so in love with music. Like the idea, like I think I wanted to be Kurt Cobain when I was a kid. You know, like so bad. Like I just thought he was. It was so cool. Like just the, the energy and the emotion, and then seeing people uh, like in the crowd that I always thought was 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 incredible just to watch. I think I was a huge people watcher as a kid. You know, like just watching people interact and, and do shit, you know? Uh, and I think as, as an underground world, I, I, there was a band I really, really, really looked up to. They were, they were a lot older than me as well, but they were, they were a local band that started bringing and it, well, they got signed and they were touring. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember the band code seven, oh, but dude, they were, we played, we, my, were, my, my band taken, we did like a tour up in Canada with them and they could not have been like the coolest dudes. And especially the singer just being obsessed with UFOs. Yeah. So good. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff is the still best. to this day. One of the best singers I've ever heard, like m- melodically, which was huge for me. Like I love, you know, I'm a melody guy, even though at first the world saw me as a, heavy metal guy because that's the first taste of success they found from me, but I've always been melody driven. Um, there's nothing more that gets me off than like that sweet spot of a melody that you wouldn't expect, but makes your hair stand on end and with the right lyric, you know, that's, it's just so impactful. And Jeff had this, I mean, I grew up watching them cause they were local. They were Winston right. Salem and that was right around the corner. And that's the band that brought bands like poison the well and, uh, Dillinger skate plan because those because they were touring with those bands so they they opened a lot of like little venues in the in the Winston Salem High Point Greensboro uh, Chapel Hill like the, the the other dude Dave that was only in the band for part of the time uh, big show promoter was always there, opening yeah. venues yeah yeah he was a show promoter and he and he had venue and he always had venues and I would always go to those shows and that's probably why I fell in love with heavy music because I saw the community of it. And, uh, the high school I went to was, if you were a kid to listen to punk rock, you weren't cool. It was like rich white kids with money or like, or it was like the, the other side of the, you know, the coin, which was like people with no money and it was dangerous. And like the punk rock kids, there wasn't any punk rock kids. Like I rode a skateboard and listened to punk rock and fit in with nobody. Uh, so going to those shows, um, because my school district, like I lived right downtown. So there was either ghetto or it was rich. You know, we were just right on the outskirts of everything in a tiny little house downtown. I used to ride my skateboard and I was big into skateboarding, which is what was what basically like old school hip hop and punk rock, you know, like all the zero skate team and uh, toy machine and all those dudes that I would look up to. It was all, all and all those VHS tapes that I'd have it was always punk rock on it, which is another huge thing for me. Uh, 
Yeah, and, and, and the, the community that that had, because at this time in life, there were, skate parks weren't a thing, so there wasn't really a place to hang out. You go skateboarding and you get in trouble, and you go to a show and it would get shut down. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah. No, no, for uh, sure. I, I, I like that. I like that. The idea of what you were attracted to was the, um, you know, the, the communal aspect. Cause like, like you mentioned, you know, that whole area is so interesting because it is this juxtaposition of, you know, you have your colleges like, you know, Duke and North Carolina, which are, you know, great schools, but like clearly, you know, very wealthy white people go there. And then you have, exactly you have the, the sort of rural South that also infiltrates that city. And it's just, yeah, you have this hodgepodge of like culture, rich poor like it's just a weird place it, it really is and it's so far behind i felt like it's not it wasn't very progressive you know at all but that that north carolina that north carolina music scene was progressive i thought i thought the only thing north carolina had right like with bands like hope's fall as yeah. i got older like uh, prayer for cleansing between the buried and me. There, there's so many rad bands that came out of there that start that were before under like before I moved away and moved to Florida. Uh, there was still a lot of cool shit going on in North Carolina that we got to see and be a part of and uh, uh, and watch. It was like that's what you did. There wasn't kids my age weren't you know it, it wasn't like it is now. I guess we're underage kids party and go to bars and you know, you know whatever they do like most of us didn't have cars we you know had skateboards and the people that i hung out with and you'd sit around and listen to music while you're skateboarding or you would go to a show and, and watch a band play and if it was a local show or a touring band with a bunch of local bands like it was fucking cool you know and the bands were all good and it wasn't about how pretty you are your instagram followers or your you know all the crap that came after that thing that's what turned under so far away from it it made us so mad that because it, it it was a community at one point in time and we were up and we got to be a part of it you know i remember seeing poison the well going if i could ever do that and then a couple years later they're submitting for our tour to play direct support right and i just would i remember telling jeff every day and uh ryan just like dude if you told me this three or four years ago, I would have laughed in your face and said that like, there's no way in hell, you know, like this would ever like that you would tour with me. Like as a kid that was in the crowd, let alone like be opening up for my band. And you guys think we're cool and our music is cool. Like that was just such a weird thing for me. Uh, yeah, no, it was, you know, yeah, yeah, there was definitely way more of a community vibe. I mean, I remember, meeting so many of the bands that I saw, like I saw every time I die before I was even touring really. And I saw, you know, 18 visions and, and, uh, poison the well and Dillinger escape plan. And like all those dudes ended up becoming some of them, you know, the 18 vision guys were so good to us when they were popular and we weren't. And same thing with poison the well dudes and, and correct from Dillinger escape plan. I still talk to like all the, he's one of the guys that has our record early. Like, that's the guy, one of the guys I would send it to because he's like one of my best friends. Like, who's anyone I trust with my music and, and honest opinion is Greg. Like, I, I love that dude. We've been through a lot together. It's like, and these things were bands that I obviously was watching from the crowd. So, 
Yeah, that, that uh, yeah. full that first full circle nature is really um, it, it 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 connects you to the music in so many deeper ways than um, you know people can even describe because it's just like it's great that at one point I looked up to this person and now they're my peer and they like what I do and it just feels so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I also think that comes with uh, as far as life goes is like uh, being open minded and learning from each other. Like good people can do that. Like you know, those guys that are older than us and, and still be able to, to have an open enough mind to listen and, and potentially, you know, bounce ideas off of each other. Like I, I've learned a lot from those guys and they probably learned some stuff from me too, because no one was looking at each other differently or, or like, Oh, I'm older and better and wiser than you. Like you should, you should be opening for me. Like, you know, that community definitely moved together. Uh, you know, and under Earth was the kind of band that got to, sit on both sides of the coin like we do some weird tours like we went out with Cohe and cambria that that was fucking weird right. you know like but it worked somehow like right we went out with taking back sunday who's uh you know adam's a north carolina guy like i grew up with adam adam was playing shows at places and he was a high point kid and i was a greensboro kid he's a couple years older than me and we played so many shows together before he was in taking back sunday and i was an under oath all the way through our career now to where we've gone around the world a million times together. And that's where I spent New Year's Eve this year in North Carolina was with Adam and his wife and his kids. You know, like that's a very crazy thing about North Carolina and the bands and the music that it created and the people that came out of it. You know, as much as I would never want to move back there, it, it was it was cool. It's a yeah. cool place to grow up. Uh, totally. It gave you yeah. what it's worth as far as, yeah. Yeah, it gave you, it gave you what you needed. Um, the uh you know as you started to i apologize we're kind of jumping around but i'm trying to you know put a put a little little lineage on this when you were um you know as you were kind of going through high school and you know playing in bands and you know being active in the music community like did you have any other vision of you know a pursuit beyond just be like oh i just want to play in bands like you know were you like oh maybe it'd be cool to be a teacher or something like that or was it just like nah music's it man Every one of my brother and uh, all of his friends, all they wanted to do was be in a band. That's what they wanted to do. And I feel like they forgot the most important ingredient, which was being in love with their actual instrument. And I, it's funny enough because I, I, it's so different than I am now. But when I was a kid, I did not want to be in a band at as I got older, I wanted to be normal. Cause I was, so I was always like the weird kid. They kind of got picked on or, you know, I was never like bullied or anything. I'm like, Oh, what was me? No, I just like, I never really fit in anywhere. Cause of probably where I went to school and growing up in North Carolina and all that shit. Uh, I really wanted, like, I was like, man, I, cause I wasn't good at school and I wasn't good at, Oh my God, my manager's calling Why? Like, he knows I'm on interview. All right. Uh, tell, tell, know, tell, 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 tell Randy to leave you alone. Yeah, don't really need to suck my ass. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, jokes, jokes. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. I, I love Randy. Uh, no, I like. I was so in love with songwriting, and I, I loved writing, and I loved playing. But like, I wanted to be like I was like I wanted that normal experience. Like I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be. It just wasn't in my cards. Like that's what I wanted, and I think maybe that that's why I was so successful and do really well with music is because I cared so much about the, the instrument and, and the songwriting and the lyrics. Like I would sit in my room 
every day and play. I, I did go a day without playing the guitar. I didn't do a, do a day. And I could care less about being in a band. You know, it wasn't about the word band for me, like, which most of my peers were just, they didn't want to be in a band because they didn't want to do something else. They thought it was cool to go on tour. It would be cool to like not have to get a job or not have to go to college. Those thoughts never crossed my mind. I was like, oh, I wish I was good at school because I would, I think that would be a cool experience. Like, wonder what college would be like. That just didn't play out for me. You know, it's like, I didn't really think about being in a band. I just loved writing songs and playing, which playing you needed to be in a band. You know, that was like, that, that came with it. Like, oh, I got to play with other people and like figure out how to do that, you know? And, uh, but most of the, most of my time was spent playing alone. And then on the weekends I would play in whatever band and like rehearse or, you know, and then play a show once a month or whatever it was, you know? Yeah. No, I make that, that, that makes sense. Um, you know, and then the, uh, it, it, it seems to me just like kind of, you know, in our discussion so far and, you know, what you've expressed, uh, as far as like, you know, the, the attraction to community, um, you know, I, I imagine was also attractive about, you know, getting into the Christian faith. And like you said, you know, you've, it's been well documented in regards to, uh, you know, music and, you know, uh, adopting a Christian faith where, you know, really kind of, you know, put you on, on a good path as you were younger. Um, I, I presume that was also kind of a cool component of, you know, once you started to get into Christianity of just like, Oh yeah, here's this other community that also exists. That community never was a good experience. Uh, okay. Uh, that was like, just never, you, you didn't know, feel that. Never. Got it. I felt like that was the that was the most I was ever uh, the most I was ever outcasted and not accepted and uh, literally talked at and talked down to was when I adapted that as like a lot of the heavier bands and like that was that part of the community that was moving and like with Norma Jean and the beloved guys and me without you and it was, it was cool. Like the bands were cool, but everything else that came with it, like with the way like, everyone treated each other was great. And I, I, I love the under oath guys. And I was obviously friends with them before I was actually playing with them. Um, but then once, once things actually started to pick up and you're a part of that world, it was fucking awful. You know, it was like probably what got me into drugs in the first place, you know, yeah. like just like having that cross, you know, no pun intended, to burden uh <laughs> right like like being someone that is like looked at and talked about in that regard and like held like just the amount of judgment on a daily basis you can't do anything without someone having something to say about it or telling you you're wrong or you know and just, that was everything opposite about what it was supposed to be attractive about in the first place which was acceptance and love and all that all these things that i longed for in life and that was it was just awful, man. It was like the worst years of my life. Some of the worst years of my life were, were when there was any sort of Christian faith involved was just the people were just, just awful, man. I just thought that they treated everyone terribly or looked down at people or it was just bad. And yeah. it was just bad vibes. And then when you cross that with music, it's confusing. It's confusing for the listener. It's confusing for the bandmates. Half the reason why, the band broke up because you can't grow. You can't become an individual if you're, there's this, not only are you a band that has to get along and you have to agree on where to eat, let alone what clothes to wear and how you look and 
who you hang out with and what CD you put in the van when you're driving. Like now there's this whole other thing. And then if you start to stray from that, like that causes problems in the band, it causes problems personally. And like no one could grow. And that's what pushed us all apart and started hiding things in secret. And my thing was I could do something without, like I wanted to love everybody and we weren't getting along. We're all different and we're all starting to feel different and that's not okay for some reason. So I would hurt myself, which was drugs. You know, like I could do this. I'm in control of it. It makes me feel good. And I'm not hurting anyone else. Well, you really, you are hurting the people around you because they see you turn, you know, fall apart. But, uh, that's the idea I think that, that enters your brain is that like, that was, that was my way of escaping my escape, <laughs> which was yeah. music. And, and that's really unfortunate that it has to be that, that it had to be that way. And I'm not blaming anything on anyone or anything. It's just that, that's how my, that was your reaction. Life turned out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Without even knowing it. I, yeah. I don't think I knew it. I think it was just something that was available that I tried that worked. And then it, and then it was like, cool i should keep that to myself uh and then i try it again and then i would try it again and then it becomes a thing and then you're actually buying stuff and you're looking for it and then you know years pass by and you're doing it all the time and yeah and then you're an addict just, yeah yeah and yeah. there you go you know it's it's well i, I think it, like, you to, don't even realize it's happening when it's when it's happening you yeah know? totally well i think to your point i mean that that definitely is a very fair characterization of you know christianity especially when you're coming at it from the perspective of you know, you're this, you know, weirdo that's into this weird style of music, you know, even though it may be, you know, defined, you know, if you're listening to strong arm, like that's essentially going to church, you know, like, but there's no, yeah. there's no Which, way, there's no way you can play that for a person that attends a church that is like, you know, over the age of 50 and they would be like, Oh, that's the devil's music, you know? And so you're going to be looked at with, yeah. the, with the side eye and like, why are they into this weird stuff? Like, why don't they just like, you know, you know, DC talk or whatever, some crap, you know, it's like, and so of course, because of that, you are, yeah, like you're loosely defined as a Christian, but not as good as what you should be just because of, you know, the way you present yourself. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think for, for under oath, for most of those guys, it was way different. Uh, what maybe, maybe I was the, the demise of what <laughs> part of their life was, but sure. I, I came in it as like, they they approached me when I was singing for a different band. They wanted me to sing for them. Uh, you know, they were going to part ways with their current singer, and you know they weren't really touring. It was a little, but in a band like regionally as well. And you know, it's just one of those things that I think that they saw things a little bit differently than I did. And I was I was I fell in love with music, and that's something came in and out like as part of it at certain points and they were differently. Uh, some of those guys were like, it was all about religion and music was a way to, to do it too. And I, I was like, Oh man, like that's weird. I've never even heard of that. Like I didn't even know there was such a thing as a Christian band when I was it, until I was like 19, right. 16, 17, you know, I was like, what is, what are you talking about? I was like, music is music. It's supposed to be for everybody. So it's supposed to be for, one type of person that didn't make any sense to me, but I love, you know, 
you know, that I was at a certain point in my life a Christian, and, and so were they. And, and we wrote, we were great, we were best friends and writing great music together. Sure, you know, this sounds great. It, but it was never like my driving force ever. ever yeah. You know? No, for and sure. That's not me just going back on it. And that, that's just, you can ask anyone that knows me and be like, oh, yeah, you know, like that dude, my religion was more so was music. That was like my everything mm-hmm. you know still is it's, it's it's you know very much it's your guiding principle sure uh, yeah 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 um you know as uh you know kind of you know fast forwarding a little bit but as things you know really started to you know explode with under oath like what you were mentioning you know these bands that you respected all of a sudden submitting for your tours because you know you guys are drawing thousands of people and you know the the presence of under oath was you know inescapable in you know the mid 2000s you know did I, I presume it was kind of a mixture of excitement but also you know feeling overwhelmed as well um, you know would, or, or, or would you characterize it a different way uh, I, I just I don't think anyone really understood what was happening you know <laughs> I, I think that that's a good which, point which is why everyone got I think that's why everyone got so weird in the band and went a different way I, I think in hindsight looking at it no one knew what was happening and no one would have admitted that there was a problem but I feel like you put a bunch of kids in a moving vehicle and have them going around the world they don't get a chance to grow up or become an individual and then your band hits success whatever success you want to call I mean obviously it's different for I'm sure some band like I don't know a way bigger band would have a, a crazier life experience than us. For us, it was it was life changing, uh, and then all of a sudden you're making money, and I think it changes everyone. Some sort of fame or responsibility and means to afford your life and not have to come home to work a construction job because you're trying to chase your dreams. All of a sudden, they become kind of some sort of reality. Uh, it changes everybody. I don't care who you are. I think it's going to change you. And I don't think you can be prepared for that. And I think that's a huge problem. I think that's why we have people, uh, overdose on drugs that are in, in, in this industry and, and all sorts of things. Cause I don't think anyone's prepared for what happens in, in any sort of level of success. I think it's, it's something that's not taught in school and it's not, you're always taught to not chase your dreams. You're taught to, to fit into the mold and do what society asks you to do, which is go to college and get a job, desk job. And, get married and have kids or whatever you're supposed to do. So when the kid that decides to kind of, you know, do his own thing and it actually works out well for him, like who prepared you for that? Nobody, your parents didn't, uh, your schooling did not So you're kind of just thrown out there to the wolves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, it's, it's the same way. It's the same way as professional sports, you know, like I'm a big basketball fan and you know, when you're whatever, 18 years old and you're given, you know, a multimillion dollar contract and like a, a child doesn't know what to do with that. No 18 year old knows to do what to do with a million dollars. No. And it's not, it's not just the money. It's just the fact that all of a sudden you're kind of like you, you're, you're your own boss and you, you chase your dreams and you can, do what it is you set out to do and, and there's no like economics or history book for that you're just like out there doing it and it's like you can fuck it up a million ways and you have no idea and you don't even know you're fucking up when you're fucking it up you know like you have no idea because you know it, it's just a big question mark so you kind of just have to live through it which is why under oath is where it's at now is that we did 
publicly go through a very ugly breakup kind of uh, roller coaster ride and put you in a place where we finally made a great record in my opinion because we had to go through all that shit to get where we are now yeah. if we couldn't have gotten to this this conclusion at this point any other way without <laughs> just being thrown to the wolves Hey, you want to become better at marketing, right? Like whether it's marketing your band, whether that's marketing your graphic design, whatever it is, check out this class. This class is called Sell It Without Selling Out, DIY Marketing for Creatives. It is taught by a good friend of mine, a previous guest in the show, Finn McKenty and Matt Halpern, another previous guest in the show, the drummer for Periphery. It is a step-by-step guide for designers, artists, all the creative people that listen to this show to market themselves and get paid to do what they love. It's everything those two dudes have learned from the past 15 years of experience, which trust me, they have a ton of experience and like, not just like fake experience that, you know, padding your resume and stuff like that. These guys, these guys have done it. You'll get 18 videos on each step of the marketing process, plus a 50 page workbook that will guide you through the process of making your own marketing plan. And best of all, lifetime access to their private coaching group where they'll do weekly live check-ins to answer questions in real time and guide you through the process. Sell it without selling out.com. There's a couple of videos there. You can dive in, get a little sample of it. I can't back this thing enough. If you are just slightly interested in marketing, you will find a lot of awesome, awesome nuggets. It's not like you're going to remember everything. You're going to remember like two to four things and be like, wow, those are really good principles. So go to that website, sell it without selling out.com. All right. Now on with the show. Which that, that leads me to, uh, you know, a, a question I was going to ask about define the great line, because, uh, you know, I definitely think that that was a real line in the sand for people who, um, you know, wanted under oath to, you know, become a larger band via, you know, more singing, more catchiness. And then you guys, you know, responded clearly with like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to make a very, you know, uh, ISIS inspired, neurosis inspired, <laughs> challenging record. Um, you know, as you guys started to, you know, uh, I guess play that for people, you know, outside of, you know, the band and your management and stuff like that. Um, you know, do you recall people reacting, uh, that way of being like, Oh my gosh, this is so heavy. Like, I, I don't, I don't know about this. Or was it, was it generally like, Oh, I get what you guys are trying to do. I no, I don't think a lot of people knew what we were trying to do. I don't think we knew what we were trying to do. I think, <laughs> got it. I think we were, we were pretty unhappy with, uh, they're only chasing safety pretty much immediately before it came out. Like we were at, I mean, it's hard to explain because most people didn't see us at that time until it was more popular. But if you saw us live during that time, it was more like the energy of a Dillinger type band that we looked up to, but, but we were just, we had hooks and stuff. But then once you get a bunch of 20, 20 year old kids or 19 year old kids, 18 year old kid in a studio with a 40 year old something producer that wants to make some money. He made it sound really polished and he made it sound really plastic. And we, we, I remember hating it. We were just like so unhappy and all we decided to do was like, we're like, no, like let's not listen to people anymore. Like, let's just, let's just like make a record that feels the way we do live and how we feel on stage. And that's just kind of what came out. You know, like we didn't really make a conscious decision to, to throw a big curveball in the industry. We just, we just knew we weren't happy. And what do you do when you're unhappy is you change something. And what we did was just to kind of stop listening. And eventually that bit us in the ass, but at the time it, it, it worked, you know, and it worked really well, but it's because we, 
it was a, it was another honest attempt of, of us just trying to like figure out who we were, you know? Uh-oh. Have I lost signal? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think that was, uh, you know, really for me personally, that's when I, you know, bought into under oath where I was just like, I see what you guys have been, you know, working on and trying to, you know, accomplish and not like you were at the mountaintop at that point. Cause clearly you progressed since then, but it was very much, um, <clears throat> yeah, I just, I just got it in ways that, um, you know, I think, uh, many people did at that point. And then if you lost fans, it was because, you know, that's fine. Like that's just the band progressing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think we were just, you know, like you can't, we were kids, man. Like we, no one, no one knows who they are at that age. And I think that goes the same thing with music. It's like, you can't pinpoint your sound in one record when you're a teen. We were teens still, you know? Yeah, totally. And that's, that's, that's not, that's a hard thing for people to understand. It's like, any sort of older business dude looking at it would just be like, well, you know, that, what are they doing? It's like, well, what are they doing is that we're, we're just way too young to even know what we're doing. How are we, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. We weren't, we weren't making calculated decisions. We were just reacting. Exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's 95% of what under oath was until we got older. Or, right. <laughs> we're not, we're not making any sort of, conscious decision we're just reacting to situations yeah for sure um and so you know as you know as the you know touring life and everything that you know was all consuming with under oath started to close and you know you were you know clearly had your your sight set on continuing to play music with you know Sleepwave and everything like that um you know did you go through a difficult mental transition of being like oh i am known as spencer from under oath not saying that you've like bought into your ego but the notion of people transitioning out of touring life like you know that's kind of a a hard one um or you know was that I guess an easier transition in certain ways for you because you knew you were going to continue to play music. Um, you know, what, what was kind of in your head? Um, no, I, I mean, a hundred percent was an identity crisis. Not like you said, I definitely did. wasn't buying into any sort of go by any means because, you know, I was in a pretty like, mentally a bad spot after as under a up and it was definitely, confusing and the and it was really confusing because all these bands that i thought came after us and came with us after this whole community vibe and i'm doing a solo project and all these people i thought were nice you know and like different restaurants i went to different bars all these people that i thought liked me were just fucking assholes after they realized that under oh under us on my anymore we just they just treated me like shit and that was a huge that was a really weird pill to swallow i was like oh wow like now these bands, because all of a sudden my band decides to break up and you're in a bigger band than me because I'm doing a solo project and now I'm trying to talk to you, you're literally treating me like I'm a fanboy and like leaving me outside or putting me in general admission when I'm like coming to hang out to some friends and they'll like throw me out there in the crowd like instead of like giving me an all access pass because they're just too cool. Like shit like that would happen all the time and I was just like, whoa. I learned a lot really fast about like just human beings. I was like, wow, you know, there's most people are nice to people because they want something in return. That's like the worst, that was like my worst nightmare coming true. 
and also I was, you know, in a spot of where I was unhappy because I didn't want the band to end in the first place. So I was pretty upset and depressed and, you know, those were the worst years of my life. The, the, the three years of Underworld being broken up were, were awful. And I think Sleepaway could have done a lot more if my head could have been more clear, but it was just so clouded with confusion and uh, just human beings that just, I don't know, it, it was a really, it was a really tough, tough yeah. time. Cool. It, it was, yeah, I mean, it, I, I think it would be for most people when it's like this this thing, this all consuming thing from a you know just a time perspective that it, you know get, starts to get removed from you, and it's like, well, not now. What do I do with my time, and what do I do with with this, and how do I fit into you know the music world? Like, wh- where where is this all going? And yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't just yeah, it was more just like human to human contact was was just really odd. Like as far as like, especially in other bands like that are quote unquote in our scene that are like my age or younger, it was just like, dude, these people are terrible. Like I was like, I can't believe this. Like how people will treat you just like. Underworld is your favorite band and you're like a huge, you've always been cool to me. And then all of a sudden you're just a dick. Uh, it was, it was crazy. Uh, I'm not going to name any names, but it was like, I mean, it wasn't one person. It was like a hundred people. You know what I mean? It was like, wow. You know, in this, in, in this scene that I've been in for so long in this industry that I've been in for so long, it was like, this is really weird it's really crazy yeah no for sure and and it seems like too this is just a you know kind of an aside outside observation sort of thing um you you know you clearly you know helped to make business decisions for the band and you know the band was a you know a democracy from that perspective but um like did you care for kind of the music business aspect of what it was that under oath was doing or did you do your best to you know kind of uh, avoid it but like still be interested but you know avoid it I tried to avoid the business side as much as possible I got you know, okay. until, until, you know, it was the same thing I did with social media. You know, like I, I look up to people like, you know, Tom York and Trent Reznor and people that I was like, Oh, you know, that's so cool. Like mystery, like, like Maynard from tool and like all that. I was like, dude, rock and roll. The mystery of rock and roll is so sick. I'm not going to buy into that until it, obviously until it bites you in the ass. The same. Oh, now everyone cares about numbers, those numbers, not, you know, ticket numbers or all this and that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, I had to buy, I had to do, I had to buy into it, not buy into it, but I had to, to be a part of it. Right. And, you know, starting five years too late when you're like, Oh, the opening band's got, the singer's got like more, <laughs> like 30 million times more followers than under oath does. But the guy can't sell 30 million times. The tickets came in. So one sixteenth of the tickets that our band can, right. because we were like, too cool to do it and then it bites you in the ass and it's the same thing with the business side like <laughs> I tried to ignore it because I didn't want any part of the business I wanted to just song to be the songwriter and, and and play and not have to worry about the numbers and all this until start, things start happening that you're not happy with and then you have to start speaking up and paying attention to the business decisions and I think that happened to everyone on Earth at different times, but I tried to fight the business side as long as possible by like not really being a part of it until it bit me in the ass. You know, the same thing with 
not having a Twitter and an Instagram until it bites you in the ass and not, you know, like not, ha- I mean, I tried so long to not have an iPhone, you know, I was like, I don't want right. my email to vibrate in my pocket every time I get one. Like it was great to be on tour and be like, cool, Randy, we'll, we'll, we'll answer all these interviews and all these questions you have when we stop somewhere that has internet and we pull up our laptop. But until then I can live a normal life and like see what's around me. And nope. And so you're the only guy without an iPhone and all these decisions are being made because you're not, you know, connected to it. Can't yeah. Wait a week. Until you, yeah. It, it, dude, it's, and it, it, you know, so yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. Uh, the last, the last thing I want to hit on was, um, you know, so like, I, I don't think I could ever see an interview with you um, not mentioning the fact like, oh, like, so you're not Christian anymore. Walk me through every single reason why you're not Christian anymore. And like, to me, that is so, um, I'm sure to you as well, it's frustrating because like, you know, clearly you've gotten your word out there in regards to your, (laughs) what's happened with you as far as that journey is concerned. Um, you know, it doesn't kind of, uh, I guess frustrate you or perplex you that people, you know, seem endlessly fascinated with the fact that, you know, you uh, have progressed as a human being. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think people, you know, when, when you're in the public eye that people don't like to see someone change. Uh, and I think if you were to tell me anyone reading or listening to this or whatever this is, and you on the other end that you haven't changed over the span of 10 years for the better, no matter what, like you go through hard times and and good times, but I think it always, you know, makes you a better man or a woman, better woman or whatever. Uh, you know, people change, man. That's, and it's totally normal and acceptable. And if people can start understanding that, because if you're changing, which we all are, and, and you can't accept that someone else is, then you've got some serious issues, man. Or you at least need to think twice about your life or, you know, how you treat people. Because uh, everyone's entitled to feel how they want to feel and, and believe in what they believe in. That's, that's the free will of being a human being. And when you try to fight someone on their decisions all the time, then it's like, you know, what are you really saying or doing there? Like, why aren't you letting someone live, you know, unless they're like obviously making choices. Like I'm going to start using heroin. Like that's a bad idea. Yeah. You know? Someone should step in. Right. <laughs> I'm going <gonna>, <laughs> yeah. to start cheating on my wife and leave my kids with no money. Like those are obviously different scenarios, but you know what I'm saying? Of like, you got to let people make their own decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise like, yeah, there's the, you can't, you can't control a person, you know, that's the, <laughs> that's the one thing where it's like, you know, I, I've got a seven year old son and you know, the piece of advice I always share with him is just like, yeah, you can't control what, you know, your friends or other people do. You can just control what it is that, how you react and what you do. I mean, he's seven, so he doesn't understand that, but you know, that's the same principle as people projecting the fact that like, oh man, like, you know, I, Spencer should look back into, you know, <laughs> the faith or whatever it's like no that's that's yeah, that that's the evolution of human beings yeah and and that's a huge thing is no one knows us that unless you're our personal friends it's you don't know you know kids keep saying like you know i'll, I'll be praying for you guys or you know it's okay you're lost now you'll, you'll come back to whatever it's like you guys don't know how unhealthy the band was Right. And how much better it is now that we've let each other be individuals like that shit eats people alive and almost you know 
it almost took my life yeah let me be just leave me alone like i mean it's like if you want me to go back to where i was which is depressed drug addict you know person sure it'll i'll just ride it out until it kills me you know what i mean that's that's what makes you happy you know but people don't understand that's not how life works yeah no totally totally um you know and last thing i want to ask you is the um you know the notion of uh you know now that you have perspective on the band and now that you guys are deliberately coming together to you know release a record and you've been deliberate about you know basically everything that you've done with the band from touring and you know because you're adults and you can make decisions with a you know clear vision of what it is you've done in the past i i presume it's only like the most satisfying and best place you can be in because you now you everything is essentially on your own terms you're not chasing anything beyond just kind of what you guys want to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely the best place we've ever been in since the band even started. There's, there's, it, I just don't, I can't even under, like explain the love and, and, uh, friendship and, and happiness. We have like how healthy the songwriting is, how well we work together. It's, 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 it's a shame that it took, you know, 12 years or more to to figure it out but it did and that's kind of where we're at now you know yeah, no, for sure. That's it's it's super exciting, and I think it's exciting for anybody that um you know is of an age where they can look at Under Oath in 2018 in a non cynical way and be like, hey, what they're do what they're doing now is like their own choice, and that this is exciting. They can exist on their own terms as opposed to riding a you know roller coaster of like I guess we got to do this tour because we got to do this thing and we got to do this next thing because of this thing. Yeah, it's 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 so much different, but it's it's so healthy. like it's hard to explain for I guess kids don't see it that way or or maybe they will maybe they won't but that doesn't really matter to us either way we're the ones living it we're the ones that have to wake up with it every day and fall asleep with it every day you know like we are the ones that are under oath so this is the best we've ever been able to coexist and function then people should be happy about that you know yep no for sure for sure well, uh, Spencer, thanks for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate it. And um, I knew this was going to be a fun call. Absolutely. That is all for our show today. I don't know why I like to sing these outros, but I do. But uh, thank you very much, Spencer. Thank you very much, Monica, his publicist, for hooking this up. I always appreciate it when people take me interesting guests that I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. I would love to do that. And uh, because people know kind of what to expect for the show now. And that's uh, that's an awesome thing. I really enjoy that. So uh, next month, the, the entire month is going to be dedicated to a theme. And I know many of you like these sort of themes that I do, and I appreciate that. The feedback that I've gotten on previous themed months has been awesome. So this one, uh, I mean, it's not an original idea because many people have done this sort of spotlighting before, but uh, I wanted to highlight women in music. You know, I've had feedback from people in the past being, uh, you know, and I wouldn't say critical, but being like, yo, where are the, where are the females? It's like, yeah, no, you're right. Where are the females? I need to do a better job of making sure that all the voices here are uh, represented within our independent music community. And it just happened to be that I was conducting a few interviews with uh, awesome women involved in music. And I was like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and put the entire month of May uh, on, on highlight. There's one little exception to the rule, which, you know, I'll share at a later date. But the first guest is uh, Erica Lauren. She is a music photographer 
based out of Los Angeles, and uh, she just takes incredible photos. And I got keyed into her uh, it was a couple of years ago, and I started following her work. I was like, dude, this is like I just really enjoy the work that she does. I mean, you know, when you see a live music shot, like it either captures your attention, and you're like, what is going on with this, um, or you just kind of move along. So. Anyways, that's what we have next week. Erica Lauren, very excited to bring you this month of uh, awesome women who are contributing to our sweet, sweet music scene. All right, I'm going to go to Miami. I'm going to do some meetings, do some work stuff, and you have a brilliant rest of the day, okay? I will, uh, yeah, see you on the other side, or whatever they say. (laughs) But please, be safe, everybody. That's not all. We transfer. Like I said, I am reminding you, we transfer is the best place to transfer huge files online, or just files in general, and they feature artists and other cool people when you are transferring these files while you're waiting for that stuff to be uploaded. So go to wetransfer.com. No login, no passwords. They just do the damn thing, okay? Now, for real. Goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.